is Scary. This is Shelby. This is Zach. And today's episode is going to be the 1933, directed by James Whale, The Invisible Man. Excited. Yeah, my favorite of the Universal Monsters. Yeah, this one was really good, and somehow with, I've seen... Like, all of the more modern Invisible Man movies, this is the first time I ever watched this one. I had somehow missed it. Yeah. It's, I think it is something that people don't really talk about. And, like, I've gone to, like, some conventions, like horror conventions or just, like, nostalgia, like, conventions. And I've gotten in contact or communication with a lot of people. And they were like, Invisible Man is slept on. And it when you watch that movie it really shows because we're going to be talking about like i know that we've mentioned in dracula and frankenstein episode just like moments of like insanity and the acting and stuff like that sound we're going to be mentioning a lot of things and it's going to be similar but also different i mean they just continue that same trend but they do it in their own way yeah and yeah the technology is, so, is yeah is great the level of effort for the visual effects in this movie was next level i have a feeling that like 1933 audiences this probably literally blew some people's minds yeah because this sort of thing had never been done before on film yeah it's it like because sometimes I'm, I'm i'm catching it and i'm just like wow and then you remember this is 1933 yeah and it's like what this is crazy <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah um so obviously the movie is based on the 1980 jeez yes 1980 so this movie is based on the 1897 hg wells novel mm -hmm. the invisible man <laughs> and what's really interesting is the fact that hg wells was still alive by the time this movie got made and he had final script approval yay <laughs> good so. stuff I just found that interesting. That was something that he had to have in the contract. He's like, if you're going to make a movie out of my book, I get to make sure the script isn't crap. Yeah. I think there, I don't, I don't, I've not read the book, um, mm -hmm. but I did get it like on, um, like audible, not sponsored. Um, cause I was going to eventually going to read it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious to see how different or similar the, the story is. Um, I think when we watched like the behind the scenes, like the commentary, they said maybe it was a little bit different, but well, not, yeah. From what I understand, the like motivations and level of violence are the biggest differences because, well, if you know anything about H.G. Wells, he was very much a political revolutionary and apparently that is more of the motivator behind the literary invisible man mm -hmm. as opposed to the on-screen villain who is a megalomaniac, and his end goals are to take over the world. Right. And apparently uh, Griffin, because it's Dr. Jack Griffin is the Invisible Man, and apparently the on-screen Griffin is just more violent in general. He kills more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we'll mention later with, like, the kills, because it escalates very yeah. violently and also very quickly he kills a lot of people and he that's has the biggest body count out of all of the universal monsters exactly yep and it's like unknown it's like it's just but it's like yeah he killed a lot of people well no there's a there there's a pretty decent estimated body count oh, yeah. because of mentions in the film and we'll, we'll get there we'll get there and obviously there will be spoilers in this movie so yep. and it's almost 100 years old so yes, yes. if you haven't seen this 90 year old film yet go watch it it clocks in at an hour 16. It's, yeah. it doesn't take a lot of your time so yeah. go go watch the movie and come back yeah so again this movie in general just mixes the horror aspect you got the technology and then you also have kind of pseudo comedy moments in this that's actually what really for me makes this a it was a really enjoyable watch because there are those moments where this movie is genuinely funny. Yeah. And that's actually what Wells was going for. He's mm -hmm. like, because he imported a bunch of British stage actors to be in this movie on purpose because he wanted a certain type of feel for the movie because, you know, veteran stage actors can switch from drama to comedy or 
as in the case of one person that stood out to both of us was Una O'Connor mm-hmm. as Molly, just being the straight up over the top comic relief because that's what she's known for. Yeah, absolutely. In every single movie that she's in, she's loud. She's just got that voice where you just want to slap her over the face. It's like, shut up, stop screaming in my ear. She's just that his like hysterical, just like I don't. She just I don't. She's too much. <laughs> well, apparently though, she was hilarious because the behind the scenes stuff for that was saying that. Any scene that O'Connor was in, the entire cast and crew had problems not just cracking up around her. She mm-hmm. wouldn't stop telling jokes and stuff. So I she she sounds like she was the kind of person that was the life of the party. Yeah. I love that. We'll do a quick synopsis. Because mm-hmm. at this point, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of y'all know the basics of The Invisible Man. Yeah. You get in a snowy night at a British pub in the middle of nowhere England. You know, you've got your town locals and they're all blue collar guys and they're sitting around joking and smoking and throwing darts and stuff and then this strange man basically kicks open the door and walks into the bar and starts making demands yeah and he's completely (laughs) cloaked up and he's got his got wrappings all over his face big dark glasses and he's just a mystery no nobody knows who he is he's a completely stranger and, of course, the ju- the juices, the beer, and the ale, and the booze is flowing. Yep. So, people are automatically suspicious. Oh, he broke out of jail. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, they don't know, but that's what happens in a pub. Weird things happen oh, yeah. in a pub. And when you got alcohol involved, they become even weirder. And everyone turns into a gossip. Exactly. <laughs> it is literally the talk of the town. And so he just wants a quiet place where he can continue his uh, research. Mm -hmm. And he gets an inn for for like a period of like a week or two. Yeah, he gets the upper room of the inn, Mm -hmm. which the innkeeper and his wife said, we don't have anything ready. People don't travel here during the winter. Mm -hmm. Well, you can get it ready for me. And so he's just... Real pushy, and he knows what he wants, but he yeah. yeah. So he sets up in the room, and then we do, we skip to, two weeks later, because apparently since he asked for the room, he never paid. Yeah. And yeah. they were uh, too afraid to kick him out until now, because it's like okay, he's now just costing us money. Yeah. We, we have to get rid of this guy. Yeah. The innkeeper confronts Jack Griffin, Doctor Jack Griffin, played by Claude Claude Rains. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I love Claude Rains. Um, it's like, you haven't paid, you, and just kind of barges into his room. He keeps on saying that he wants to be alone, and he kind of just, like, slaps the the lunch tray out of her hand. She, of course, freaks out and runs away downstairs, tells her husband, hey, you need to confront him, be the strong man that you are, confront this man, get your money, and kick him out immediately. And Jack in a very short period of time because again Claude Rains is just using his voice which we'll go into a lot more detail because he does an amazing job and Jack just goes from begging to be like okay I'll take care of this and just like throws him down the freaking stairs and now the whole inn and the whole bar is out to just kick Jack out right and um well, a very important scene that we didn't mention was, so the night he arrives, he gets brought up dinner, and they forget the mustard. And so Molly goes back upstairs to give him the mustard, and she sees his face partially unwrapped. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those really cool effect shots, especially for 1933, because to get the shot where the bottom half of his face is transparent took... It, they had to shoot every scene where he was invisible at least four times Mm -hmm. because they had to get the empty scene and then they would cover the entire scene in what's called vellum Mm -hmm. so it's this kind of black uh it's kind of like velvet material except it's got a lot of fibers and the way it's designed once the light hits it it absorbs the light Mm -hmm. so and then you have to cover the parts of him that are supposed to be invisible in vellum and then you get a fully visible version of him, and then you splice all of that together, 
and they literally would take the cells, put them under microscopes, and touch them up. Yeah. And you just mash all four of those together, and you have an invisible man. So incredibly detailed work because you had to get your lighting right Mm -hmm. every single time you shot it. And they said every time they would set it up in the different modes, there were 10 to 20 takes per setup. So you're doing four different scenes like 80 times each time you're doing an invisible shot. And then it's hours of splicing and touch-up work. Yeah. So, So actually to make the invisible man invisible... Arthur Edison, I think, is how you say it, but Mm -hmm. literally came up with the process for this movie, and he did it for, I think it's The Invisible Man, it's like The Revenge of the Invisible Man, The Invisible Woman, The Invisible Agent, and then The Invisible Man Returns. So his effects are the only constant throughout all of the movies. Yeah. Because he knew how to do it, and nobody else really did at the time. Yeah, and that's 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 such... A long amount of work and yeah I mean it's just and he did a whole bunch of other films too because I mean he also did um, All Quiet on the Western Front and then he did the Maltese Falcon and he did the Cas- Casablanca so I was like alright well Casablanca Claude Rains again there you go and Humphrey Bogart heck yeah so I mean he I mean he was he was in there he was up there so I mean yeah, I give him all the props because that is a lot freaking work editing a movie by itself is already a lot but doing that that that's raise a glass to that man yeah yeah but the details are so great because i mean and they they really were like okay we need to show that this guy is invisible we cannot just use these effects all the time so they do multiple different things so just like that moment um, I guess to give you a little bit more of the plot, you have Dr. Kent, or is it, it's Kemp, Dr. Kemp, mm-hmm. um, who is, um, Dr. Jack, or Dr. Griffin's, like, friend. He was a colleague, because they both worked for Dr. Cranley. Yes. And, like, Dr., of course, like, this, you have the side plot that, Dr. Kemp is in love with uh, Dr. Griffin's fiance, and that that's that all becomes like a side plot that doesn't really go anywhere. But who cares? Um, but there is a moment where, again, Dr. Griffin he's able to get out of the inn, um, does a little bit of a rampage, plays a whole bunch of tricks on people. He's like singing old English nursery rhymes while he's wrecking havoc and mm-hmm. they're doing a bunch of wire work and all of the extras and actors are doing a bunch of pantomime work to really sell the invisible mm-hmm. man thing and you can again you can see the level of detail and care that went to all of these shots because very you can buy that there's a unseen person it's very well done now of course when you clean these movies up and you watch them in high def like, especially when he, quote-unquote, rides the bicycle in mm-hmm. that one scene. If you watch it in high def, you can see the wires on the front of it pulling it. Right, and you can okay. see the track that it's, it's like, already been okay, used. Okay, Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But just, like, that <laughs> moment of where he runs out of the bar, and there's already a crowd of people at the door of the bar, and they all move, and it's like, dang, that actually looks natural. Like, it looks like somebody just ran- bulldozed themselves yeah. through a crowd of people. And we see these effects even more in detail when he confronts Kemp and he's like, hey, I need you to help me. And I love that whole scene because it's just Kemp talking to an empty room. But what they're able to do with, again, wires, but I love that scene of when he sits in the chair and you see... like depression in the chair. Yeah, and I'm like, what? (laughs) I was like, that's cool. And then, like, when he lights a cigarette and stuff like that. Because that was cool, too, because you see the puff of the cigarette. And I was like, yeah. oh, that was an actual, like, puff. So they completely wiped Claude out of that scene and it's just the cigarette. So, like, those tiny details, it keeps it going. And I, and I just love that. And then they have, like, some more, like, not, uh, like, just simple effects where they're like, okay, let's do a clear dummy 
and have fabric put over it. So like when he's sitting in the car, you yeah. can tell that that's not a real person sitting there because they're not moving. But it's but it still works. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so I I love that attention to detail and that's and it continues throughout the entire movie from start to finish. Yes. You could tell that Whale really had a passion for this and to the crew that he assembled, he made sure that they cared. Yeah. Yeah. I it definitely definitely showed. Um the reason why I like the Invisible Man so much is like I know in Dracula and Frankenstein that I mentioned was like insanity and how each was so different. Like you have like Renfield and Dracula and it's all about his eyes and his creepy posture. He's crawling on the grounds. Mm -hmm. And then you have the subtlety, almost like kind of like a mixed personality, but not quite Jackal and Hyde of Frankenstein where he's just like, Oh, I'm so tired. But then it's like, no, I'm going to create something. And it's like, but then you have Jack and it's all voice and you can hear he, he goes from desperate and quiet, and then when he's talking about his lady love, and he's like Flora, and it's it's almost yeah, like he's almost passionate. he it, it is, and it's passionate even when he's like in his most see, insane moments, and when he has his speech, it's so powerful. And I love what they also do with um, the camera work. They they do a low angle and it makes him domineering and he has he's holding up his fist and it's like i love that because it's just it's powerful and it again it's showing that craziness but instead of being his posture it's his voice and i was like and that's and that was something that we learned when watching behind the scenes is Claude Rains, he had like a thick Codney accent. I didn't even know that. Well, here's the thing. He had he did have a thick Cockney accent, and he had a stutter. Mm. But he took a ton of voice lessons and trained those things out of his speech pattern. Like, his Cockney accent was so thick, they said that when he started speech lessons, he barely pronounced R's. <laughs> so he had that really thick English accent going, but... What what's really funny is the way he got the job because they were going through different screen tests, and he had a really dreadful screen test. But the second the director heard the way that he delivered his lines and the power was with he was delivering, he was like that guy. Yeah, I need that man right there. Everyone in the room thought he was insane. Yeah, but he's awful. And the director's like, I can make this work. Yeah, I can do this. I need I need him. Yeah. He's gonna have the presence I need to make this work. Yeah, and it's. Especially when you look at the actor of Claude Rains. He's a short guy. He doesn't have that, like, I'm intimidating, but he's able, because you see it in other movies, and he's a, because he plays a villain a lot in movies, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, because he did, even did, um, he did played the Phantom in with Universal as well. And he is able to be domineering in his the way that he postures himself, like he kind of tilts himself to the camera, um, and the way he holds himself. But well, he's another former stage actor, oh, so yeah. he's very dramatic. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it it is kind of it, it is that voice because he switches so quickly. He can, you know, internally he is like, "I'm going to kill you," but yet he's like, "Come here, my darling." It's like, wow, I want to go to him. Um, it's Yeah, he's just, he's great. May he rest in peace. Yeah, and then just in the moments where he's really doing it, like when he rips off his head covering the first time, oh, you want to see who I am? Fine, I'll show you who I am. And then he has that cackle. Just He just breaks out into this manic laughter that is terrifying Mm -hmm. because if you were watching somebody unwrap their head and there's nothing there and then you get this just crazy giggling basically Mm -hmm. at you yeah no i don't want to mess with that guy no i'm leaving yeah (laughs) yeah just like that whole moment and then you have like he picks up the when he has his other like like manic moment he picks up the ink blot and he throws it against the wall and it's just like it's powerful well, yeah, he's 
shown to be stronger than a normal man. Yeah. And I mean, that again, that escalates because then when he starts going on his killing spree, because he's so nonchalant when he goes and he, he goes to Kemp and he's just like, yeah, we're going to, it's going to start with a couple murders. And Kemp's like, what? Like, oh and it's so funny because we kept on cracking the joke that Griffin makes Kemp his, I can't say the female dog. Yes. <laughs> And it's like... He emasculates Kemp very quickly. Yeah, he's like, yep, you're going to help me. I don't want to help you. I don't want to. It's not what I said. I said you're going to help me. <laughs> you're going to make me wash my hands. You're going to get all my food. And you're going to bring it at the right time. You're going to let me know if it's supposed to rain. You're going to remind me that I can't go out for an hour after I eat because I'll get caught because the food will be visible. Like, he just lays out... Detail by detail what Kemp is going to do for him. And Kemp's just sitting in his chair just going, I guess. Because I don't think I have a choice. But yeah, sure. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny. And just, yeah, like he quickly, I mean, he goes back and like kills the like police chief. He kills the chief inspector. Yeah. yeah. So a police investigation is launched and the chief inspector does not believe the town oh, constable yeah. at all. He interviews all the town folk. That were there, so all the local drunks, and he's just coming to the point, he's like, y'all are going to be the laughing stock of the country if this gets out. You know what, I'm just, public delusion, you're all, mm -hmm. you're, you were all drunk at the same time, I don't care that the constable was sober, it's, you're, you're all suffering under the same misconception. Yeah. So we're just going to sweep this under the rug, and everything's fine. Yeah, and then he comes back and strangles that guy to death. Yeah. And that's the first kill of the movie. Yeah. And what I also like is when it starts escalating, he starts killing people. At the beginning, before the police chief is killed, you hear on the radio, and the radio guy keeps on coming on, and it keeps on escalating as the plot is escalating. And first it's like, oh, a small town is some gotten some disease of mass hysteria about an invisible man and is kind of like a joke and then as more and more people die and more evidence or just rumors are coming out of this town and more sightings quote unquote is happening you're seeing this hysteria spread and i love that small like sequence of shots where people are all listening to the same like broadcast and you have like that shot of like the older the older couple and they're like they hold each other's hands looking at each other like they're defenseless then you have like the mother and the um or the husband and wife and the husband grabs his gun and he's like i'm going to go out and help yeah, help. He's gonna go help and then you i like like the orphan children all cuddling together it's just like what he said what griffin said in his speech like he could literally rule the world nobody can see him and i and you even see that with like i think some of the um, almost like the commissioner, like t more of the higher up detectives, mm -hmm. they're like, "We're gonna have this. This is a perfect plan." He could be listening to us right now in the same room, and it's like, you you kind of forget, even though yes, you're watching a movie about the Invisible Man, you forget, and that hysteria keeps on going. Well, I like how they sweep that one room when they're making yeah. the plan because they literally get they literally get a big net and they walk. All the way across the room just to make sure he's not in there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still, he could be in this no, room right now. No, <laughs> not with the way they did that. I know. That, that, one, that was no, like the one time that it, there was definitely a clean room. Yeah. But it's just like, it's it's crazy what they do with that. And again, with like um, Griffin's idea is just like, I, I'm going to kill people. And Kemp's like, I just need to get away. Like... Right, and so Kemp eventually calls the cops. Yeah. Griffin's aware, and then tells Kemp, he's like, you know what? We were bosom friends when we worked for Dr. Cranley, but you know what? My dear friend, I'm going to kill you tomorrow at 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of like nonchalantly yeah. tells him, like, and now I'm going to murder you. And even Flora, his, like... He forgot about her. Yeah, and she's... <laughs> But Flora is so in love with Jack. Like, I love that whole moment because it's like, it kind of, 
you kind of really have to like sit there and chew on it in regards to like Flora's character. She is so determined. Like she knows like she's going off of the evidence of the other doctor that the reason why he's like this is because he is he's lost it because of the transformation. Right, well, because he used the drug monocaine, which yeah. is the main ingredient in the invisibility serum and it while it does make you invisible and gives you enhanced physical traits, it also eventually makes every test subject that has ever used it go insane. Yeah. So, and I like that because it's not, it's not like, oh, she's crazy. Like, she's just so in love with him that she's crazy too. It's like, no, she's in love with him and she's trying to save him. <laughs> and, but at the same time, he is not, like, he's not hostile to her. Like, it's that, it, it's kind of sweet because it even, like, relates to the ending, which we'll get to in a second, that just, like, he is a different person with her. I think he, if the movie had gone differently, he would have brought her along with him. Mm -hmm. She just would have been his queen or empress or whatever. Yeah. Or she just would have been his queen or empress or whatever. Like, he wasn't, I don't, he didn't want to hurt her. No, at absolutely all. not. That's still his lady. And yeah. that's how he acted towards her. Yeah. Like, there is a moment where she's talking like, hey, we can, we can help you. We can, we can try to fix this. And he's like sitting there almost like a crack addict, like kind of like clenching his fists but he's doing it away from her he's not doing it towards her he's like i'm holding the the animal at bay yeah. because i don't want to hurt flora and it's like i love that subtle like again he doesn't he she's important to him yes and um and we see that as it continues in the film yeah. um go, go ahead i was gonna say and then we really get the escalation because then we get a scene in the police station where it's, okay, well, he's killed about 20 people that have been searching for him. And then you get the whole plot with Kemp and Kemp has gone to the police. He's like, you have to protect me. He can get to me anywhere. He could kill me in the middle of this police station and you couldn't stop me. Or and you could stop him. So they dress Kemp up as a cop. They sneak him out through a secret exit. Kemp gets away, gets in his car, and he's driving through the countryside after he's escaped. And the, and the uh, clock tower rings, strikes ten, and Kemp sighs a sigh of relief. And then from his back seat, Claude Rain's just powerful delivery comes out and says, Yes, I think this spot will do nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's so funny because he's just so chill as he's like, All right, stop here. Kemp and he's he ties him up, hog ties him. No, he doesn't. He does. He ties no. He ties him to the steering wheel. He yeah. ties him to the car and yeah. then puts the car in gear and shoves him over a cliff. <laughs> and then in quick succession, let me just go kill a train car full of people. <laughs> right. And we actually get a body count on that later <laughs> in the movie. Oh, is it in the newspapers? Or the radio? No, they talk. The cops talk about oh, it again okay. later. They do another scene in the police. That, that's another hundred people. Jeez, he kills so many. And then, people. and then there are at least like five on-screen murders because mm -hmm. it's the police investigator Kemp. And he, I think he kills a couple other cops. His his body count is around 120 to 130 people. Yeah. So no, like he he he's busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy, and it's 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 kind of like almost a little jokey and it kind of goes back to like dracula his ending because he just like okay i'm tired let me go take a nap in the straw in a barn and some old man goes into the barn and hears somebody snoring but doesn't see anything of course at this point everybody knows about the the invisible man so this guy's like hey he's in my barn and i love the police because they're smart in this movie. Yes, they're, they're really smart. They have not only they have so many different ideas. Like they use like spray paint, like black spray paint cans, um, loose dirt on the top of a wall. Yeah, like they they're trying. At one point, they all they they all grasp hands and form a big ring. Mm -hmm. Like it's what they actually act like they have an enemy that they can't see. Yes. it's like okay, we're going to create. 
different variations on nets and booby traps and this sort of a thing. And like, yeah, they, they try and it's really impressive. Yeah. And like, they do the same thing with, with the barn. I mean, they, they get to the barn, they light it on fire. They do a ring of men and with, with everybody's got a pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Every guns at the ready and the foot and it's snowing. And I love the footprint effect. Yes. So the last really impressive invisible effects that you get out of this are smoked out of the barn and he starts staggering through the snow. And as he does it, you see his footprints appear. And what they did with that was that they got a platform and covered it in fake snow. And then they had foot shaped cutouts that they would drop in succession Mm -hmm. as he was doing the steps and they would perfectly just fall and form a footprint. I mean, I know it's 1933. So the only nitpick I would have had was to try to make the steps look a little more like a barefoot. Right. Just so Instead you're more consistent. Yeah. But the effect itself was still really impressive for the yeah. time. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the ending, it, it again, it goes on a sweet note because it goes back to Flora. Like, he's been shot in the lung. He's going to die. And the doctor is able to predict that when he dies, he'll just turn visible again. Well, yeah, because the drug's going to be inert in a dead body. Right. So, like, Flora is talking to him, just kind of not really anything important and stuff like that. And he, when he dies he turns visible again and it's and it's and to be honest i feel like the effect is better better than hollow man even though i love hollow man because it's not all like the layers like you see like his skeletal and then maybe a little bit of flesh and then it's just he's back claude reigns and it just ends like that and i feel like it's one of the better endings because as we mentioned in later episodes or past episodes universal monster movies or early movies didn't know how to end this was a perfect ending yeah this was a proper ending if they hadn't made any more movies it really wouldn't have mattered this one is a true standalone contained movie you get it it has a proper beginning middle and end the plot flows all the way through yep i completely agree because it's something it leaves open that you could do a sequel um and it could be really anything. It could be something where, oh, I found, I was inspired by the Invisible Man and I found Dr. Kemp's work. Yeah. The work was just chilling. Yeah, if you, exactly. If somebody found Griffin's books and diaries, mm-hmm. yeah, you can have the formula. It's it's available. Yep. Um, one thing I think at this point, though, is that James Whale had grown as a filmmaker. And it shows because... This feels, not that there's anything wrong with Frankenstein. I really liked Frankenstein. This just feels like a more complete story. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, set design, um, it's. I feel like it's not as big as, um, like there are big sets, but there are moments where you're like, oh, that's a miniature. Like the train. The train and the car crash over the uh, cliff. Yeah. Because that car caught fire way too early. Yeah. It hadn't even finished crashing and it was on fire. I, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but at the same time, it looks good. Who cares? Oh, no. The little nitpicks that we've had throughout this episode are just, we are looking at a very old movie through a modern lens. So mm-hmm. these are things that stick out like a sore thumb. Exactly. However, it doesn't detract from the overall quality. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Um... Did you have a favorite scene in the movie? I think just because now I understand how difficult it would have been when he first borrows, quote-unquote, a pair of Kemp's pajamas so he has something to wear, and he's just sitting there, and it's just the pajamas, and you can see the invisible spots where his feet and his hands and his head should be. Mm -hmm. Knowing what that took... To get that on screen, that is probably the most technically advanced shot in the movie. So it's just, for the time, it's crazy impressive. Yeah. I would have to say my favorite moment is when he's doing his, he 
he's his monologue when he's doing his main speech of course i can't really say like the whole thing because he says words that he is not allowed to say because it was right before the Hayes code um but yeah like when he because it's so powerful and again he says words that one you're surprised because most people do not mention those words at all and it's it just shows how far is he willing to go? Right, because uh, he says words for forcible relations, if you will. If you can just think about that. Yeah. And because this is when he's laying his whole plan out to Kemp. And it's literally, it's any sort of violence. Every, literally every shade of it. Nothing's off the table. Yeah. I will do whatever it takes to take over the world and no one can stop me. Yep. Yeah, he's like, you can never, you'll never see me go. You'll never see me come. Um, I will know every secret. And it's, it's, it's just, it's so diabolical. I mean, it's just, it's a powerful message that he is giving. And we see that. Because a lot of times, like, when you have villains like this, a lot of times they make these promises and we don't see any end game with this. This we do because we see his body count. Obviously, he does not do all the things that he said that he could do, but he was able to do a lot. Yeah, if he hadn't slipped up, he definitely at least could have like started taking over some territory. Oh, yeah. Pretty easy. Oh, absolutely. Because it still shows that he is human, even though he has the ability to hide. <laughs> yeah. So, all in all, great movie. Yeah, is it scary? Yeah, kind of. If you think of the implications behind everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just the thought of you can't even have a conversation without somebody being there. Like, it's it's crazy. Like, somebody could really take over the world yeah. if they, if that ability was real. Just, like, go into a building sneak into somebody's house like just like it's it's crazy like so is this scary kind of but uh this one definitely gets the go watch it this is a truly enjoyable film to watch even at a modern standpoint yeah give it the respect that i feel like it, it definitely deserves i feel like it needs to be on that pedestal Put it up there because there's it's so much attention to detail when you really look at the message. It's not something that's hidden underneath there. It's clear cut, boom in in freaking headlights here. Yeah. Like it ain't you ain't hiding anything. No pun intended. But it it's it deserves to be reviewed. Right. And this one is hugely influential because. One, he's part of the original round of the Universal Monsters. Mm -hmm. So, again, like we said before, the first financially successful horror movies. And then how many Invisible Man movies have there been, not just from Universal, but from other American studios, and then internationally. Every single country that has an actual film industry has made at least two or three Invisible Man movies. Like, there are dozens of these movies out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and every one is like a little bit different, and yeah. And I'm I was just thinking I was like I don't think Hammer did anything with the Invisible Man, which is interesting. But there's still been like British Invisible Man TV shows and movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then one influence or one place where it was really influential, I was surprised to find, and I think you'll really appreciate this. So, do you remember the animated, or the Adventures of Batman animated series from the 90s? Yes, I love it. Okay. Do you know where Mark Hamill got the Joker's laugh? Oh, it is from Claude Rains, yeah. He said it's, yeah. he, he apparently, because he apparently, he grew up loving the Universal mm-hmm. Monsters and watched those movies over and over again, and when he was creating the character for the Joker, he apparently internalized Claude Rains and he just reused that cackle. Yep. I, I remember him saying that. I couldn't remember if it was Joker or if it was Chucky, but yeah, it was. Um, he definitely used that influence because I remember of that interview. So yeah, 
completely agree with that. So we are going to go into horror news. So a couple of things being pushed back. So we had mentioned a while ago about the Pennywise TV series, Welcome to Dairy. Um, that has been pushed back to 2025. Um, I think it was supposed to be um, HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max. Um, but not really any um, reason why. Um, HBO CEO Cassie Bloys um, announced it. But yeah, it's going to be pushed to uh, 2025 instead of being released on 2024. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess that's, in reality, that could be a good thing. I usually, at this point, I don't get mad when they push things back. If they want to put more detail or more money into something, that's usually positive. I agree. Um, also being pushed back is the third movie for Terrifier. Needed to be. Yeah. That one, actually, I was actually worried when I was like, Terrifier 3 is going to come out at the end of the year. Like, why? Yeah. You released Terrifier 2 last year. Yeah. You don't. We're not in the 80s anymore. We're not in the 90s. You do not need to oversaturate the market with your movies. Yeah. You're going to kill your franchise. They waited. Fans waited long enough from Par Terrifier, or the, fir the first one, to Terrifier 2. They can wait a little bit. So instead of so it is going to be released on October twenty fifth of twenty twenty four. It looks like it's going to be like or twenty no, it's actually twenty twenty four. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty four. Um, right. but right. it's going to be set even though it's released in October. It's kind of going to have like that Christmas theme, which Whatever. I'm f okay. That's fine. I think it would be fun. Art dressed up as Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. I'm fine with that. Um, and then we had talked about the Halloween mobile game that came out. I've been playing it since we talked about it. Um, if you've ever played any mobile match three game ever, it's that with a Halloween coat of paint with official music and sound effects. Uh, it's not anything special unfortunately so unless you just need something to eat up some minutes go ahead and download it otherwise i would say skip it completely it's not worth playing mm. um well i know that we had mentioned about thanksgiving um yes i'm uh, yeah i'm definitely excited about that i just like how dark it is like yes. di like visually dark the first trailer came out and it looked really jokey and schlocky but they've now released at least three trailers, and the other two trailers make uh -huh. this movie look like they're going for it. Yeah. Not only is it visually dark, it looks like it's going to be a very dark movie all around. Like, the kills look like they're going to be a lot of fun. I I am excited. I am looking forward to this movie. I agree. And another movie that I'm actually interested in, I think this is going to be a good movie, is... Um, so it looks like Atomic Monster and Blumhouse are teaming together with Universal Pictures to do Night Swim, which is, it's going to be PG-13, but I mean, I think with the content, it could be terrifying. Um, that will be released January of next year, January 5th. Um, Night Swim follows a family who awakens a terrifying supernatural presence in the backyard swimming pool of their new home. I saw the trailer for going when me and my husband went and saw it Five Nights at Freddy's. And it's short, but I like it. One, drowning is terrifying. Also, if you were a kid and you had a pool, how many kids out there had nightmares about pools and things being in the pool? Like, how many yeah. times, how many people? There's going to be a shark in the pool. Whatever. Like, it's that. <laughs> it's not well, going to work. Well, and then the other thing that I think works for that sort of a setting is whenever you have people around water or a pool or something like that, is usually people are very defenseless. You know, it's not a lot of clothing. You might not have weapons or defenses around. Mm -hmm. Like, almost everybody's barefoot. Like, there's a lot of added vulnerabilities in that situation yeah. that really lend themselves to horror. Yeah. 
I completely agree. Just like that. So I'm hoping that it's successful. I feel like there have been, especially Blumhouse has released a lot, not really R, a lot of PG-13. And that's not saying it's bad. You can make a good horror movie that's PG-13. You just you, have to get the atmosphere right. You ha- exactly. And that's what I'm hoping with this film, that it has the atmosphere. That you're like, oh, I'm scared for these people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm hoping. So that is, that is, that is a... We're, we'll see what happens with that one. Yes, I agree. I agree that sounds good. So there is a, uh alien TV series that is set up to maybe be on FX, it's looking like, but okay. it's been delayed until 2025. It was going to possibly come out sometime next year, around the same time as another upcoming Alien movie, but the more recent Alien movies have gotten a lot of traction. They get gotten pretty good reviews. I'm glad this is a franchise I'm a fan of. So, again... If we're gonna go ahead, if FX is gonna FX is gonna delay this and put a little more effort into it, go for it, no problem. Oh, something that I know that you're excited about, we're getting Godzilla next God's, month. Yes, Godzilla Zero, the next Japanese Godzilla movie. It looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I this is a movie nobody knew that it was happening. I literally was like. There's a Godzilla coming out? Toho kept it under wraps. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They kept it quiet. And we're going back to the 50s. This is a reimagining of the first movie. Yeah. In post-war Japan, a new terror rises. Godzilla. Will the devastated people be able to survive? Ooh. So, yeah. This is one of those I feel like people need a primer for because... Japanese Godzilla movies are different than the ones that we've been getting from Legendary. Yeah. A lot of the Japanese Godzilla movies focus a lot more on the human drama of the situations. So everybody that was disappointed when Shin Godzilla had a bunch of boardroom and bureaucracy scenes, that's kind of par for the course for Godzilla movies. What do you think people of power with all the military power are going to be doing? They're going to be talking, how the heck do we get rid of this big, huge mutant lizard? Makes sense. They're not just going to be running in the streets. No. We're going to bomb it. <laughs> so I'm, what I'm hoping for is there will be some good acting. And then naturally Toho, the owners and creators of Godzilla, should give us some good monster effects. Yeah. I'd be curious to see, because it is the, like the 30th live action Godzilla movie. So it's like, okay... Are they going to do, like, a mixture of CGI and maybe stop motion, like, 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 model thing? They never did model. Well, I'm just, because it kind of feeds back to, like, the original Godzilla. It's a guy in a suit. So that's why I'm yeah. thinking they could probably mix it and be like, okay, have somebody, have a, put them all the dots on them, and that way he can have, like, the movement and have a mixture of that. Well, I mean, they probably will, because that's what they did with Shin Godzilla. I didn't know. So I'm... No, Shin, Go- Shin Godzilla had a had practical suits okay. that were enhanced with CGI. So that's probably okay. exactly what they did. Okay. I don't know nothing about Godzilla. I am, other than the really bad Godzilla. That's barely a Godzilla. <laughs> with all the little babies, the baby Godzillas. That is... That one doesn't count. I'm sorry, fans... I need to watch Godzilla. I mean, there are there is a lot of J-horror that I've watched. There is even, like, King Kong. that I've seen, like, some of the King Kongs, but there's so much that I have not seen. So it's definitely a, fran- like, a franchise and franchises and just, like, that world. So, like, kaiju stuff is not really in your wheelhouse. I don't think it's... I, I think it probably is. I just haven't seen it. I okay. think it was just one thing, especially growing up, it was something that I never saw advertised. So there are, like, those movies where I'm like, I never... People talked about it all the time, but I never saw it anywhere. So I, I'd be down to watch it. Because I've been... I've... Grew up watching my dad liked Godzilla oh, movies, yeah. so I I watched Godzilla on VHS. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So, yeah, it's... That would be... I would be down to talk about, especially the earlier Godzilla movies, because the first... It's like three to four Godzilla movies are actually more serious and more horror. And then once you really get into the 60s and 70s, oh, Godzilla goes camp hard. And a lot of that stuff is derided. And a few of those movies, very rightfully so, they're bad. Mm -hmm. But Godzilla has this big roller coaster history, which is the only way it could go. Because when you have 30 films in a series... They can't all be good. It's impossible. Right. Catch us on those social medias, everybody. We want to discuss things with you. Um, don't I don't think at this moment, other than maybe going to see Thanksgiving, we don't really have any plans for November. I mean... Not right now, and we'll definitely have at least one week off, and then December's going to be nuts. Who knows how much we'll even meet in December. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. Because there's not a lot of Christmas options. So, <laughs> so we could talk us, about Santa's sleigh again. We could. <laughs> Bob Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. We Come have everybody's on. favorite scary Jewish Santa. Yes. <laughs> More Santa. Um, yeah, but there's options. Um, so, yeah. Give us some options. Um, maybe even if it's not even Christmas related. Maybe it's snow related like we did before. We could... We could do we can do that again. That's I don't completely think we did fine. Jack Frost. We didn't do Jack Frost. I don't think we because we didn't even talk about The Shining either. So we could definitely talk about The Shining, shine, which is weird because we did Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Whatever. So we could definitely talk about that. I'd be down to talk about that because I've watched that movie a lot. <laughs> so this is Shelby. This is Zach. Stay spooky.